Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into the local angle here on FanDuel TV. I'm Jason Goff, the host of The Full Go. Hey, I'm covering all things Chicago, right? And as of late, it's been a little rough if you've been listening to The Full Go. We'll get to the Bears in a second, but coming up, John Yastrzemski is going to take you through the awful, awful Jets and Giants losses today. Huh? Anybody out there getting, uh, you know, sideline cams of the agent today? Huh? None of, none of that? No? Am I, am I going to see the agent on the Pat McAfee show? Uh, I'm just messing with you. Shout out to the DeVito clan out there. I don't want no smoke with anybody. All right, Brian Barrett and James White will recap the Patriots loss against the Chiefs and, you know, taking them a step further to, or step closer, I should say, to drafting a quarterback. And Shale Kapadia and Ben Solak will give their preview of the Eagles' big Monday night football matchup against the Seahawks. But first, Let's talk some Bears charges because I know that's what you guys all showed up for. And I know everybody watching out there on FanDuel TV who's used to the Full Go podcast. And if you're not, hang out with us every Sunday, right? Every Tuesday, every Thursday, and whenever there's an emergency podcast that is necessary. I am not going to sit here and talk about the Browns and the Bears in some reverence in terms of great football games I have witnessed. I'm not going to sit here and break down every single call, even though there are some things that we, uh, we, we're going to have to get into in depth in our pod. My question is, and it's, it's a sole question, it's, it's a very simple question. Who's in charge? That's my that's my only question here. And we're talking about number one picks and trading Justin Fields and all these. And all I'm sitting back here saying to myself is who is in charge of now the five and nine team that when you take a look at it and if you haven't been watching Bears football closely, God bless you. Right. You have you have been spending your time wisely outside of this city or if you're in this city and just find something to do on a Sunday at noon. God bless you. But if you've been taking in these Bears games, you know, there are at least two games already now this season that you can attribute to coaching. I shouldn't even say already because the season's almost over. There's two games, two losses that you can pin squarely on coaching is the Detroit Lions loss a couple of a few weeks back. And now this loss against the Cleveland Browns. You had a 10 point lead going into the fourth quarter. Joe Flacco looked like Joe Flacco of old. He didn't summon that that playoff run of 11 touchdowns and no interceptions as he had been over the last couple of weeks. So you can say right there, who's in charge? Who's in charge of this thing? All I know is all the Justin Fields consternation and all the conversations that we have about Justin Fields, guess what? There's enough that everybody is right about. So when you come to that consensus, 
that means that not everybody is in on the quarterback. But I will say this. I will say this. Justin Fields has two interceptions in this game to his name that shouldn't be on him at all. And I know we it, it sucks to go back because you never really do it through the great quarterbacks, right? Like we never we never go back and go like, hey, man, Peyton Manning's 15th and 16th interception of that last year. We had the pop gun arm. It was all it was tip balls and this, that. No, we don't do that with great quarterbacks. Anytime you're talking about attributing interceptions, it usually means somebody is having a rough go of it. Somebody is about to lose their job or there are higher expectations of said player seems like all those things can be qualified and directly stapled to Justin Fields this year he's had a rough go of it he's had some terrific plays somebody's about to lose their job seemingly right or or the expectations are a little bit too high all I know is Justin Fields should never be asked never 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 be asked to drop back and throw the ball as I see here on my stat sheet what was it? 40 times? 19 of 40. That's what the great Luke Getze put together in terms of a game plan. And if you're telling me that this was a part of the game plan where Justin Fields would have seven rushes, five of which were scrambles. So you had two or three design run plays for a quarterback going up against a defense that was just decimated, to be honest with you. I mean, Dalvin Tomlinson was out there. Miles Garrett was out there. And he was, you know, he wreaked a little bit of havoc. Shout out to the Bears offensive line and and shout out to coaching for actually identifying the best player on the field and keeping him blocked up sufficiently enough. You knew Miles Garrett was going to make some plays. He made a few plays, but he wasn't wreaking havoc the last, like the last time Justin Fields saw Cleveland Browns and, and, and Miles Garrett, where they had nine, 10 sacks and Miles Garrett went to the Pro Bowl simply off of that football game. So I I will give Luke Getzey that, but in the end, man, when, when a team is putting so much heat on your quarterback, they, they sent six a dozen times, a dozen times. And guess what? The Luke Getzey screen pass apparently has been removed from the playbook. He One game, he throws 15 screens, and another game where screens might be the soup du jour, there's nowhere to be found. There's nowhere to be found. So I ask, because in this league, your quarterback is supposed to be the man, right? Every team that we talk about with any kind of Super Bowl contender, uh, you know, type of vibes, whether it be the San Francisco 49ers, the question is, is Brock Purdy the man, right? Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions, question is, is he the man? Is Jared Goff the man? We know Jalen Hurts is the man, but he's been hurt, right? He's been hurt, and the offense hasn't performed the way that we used to be seeing it perform last year, and the defense isn't good. So there's other questions there. But everybody, top to bottom, we ask the same question. The expectations of the quarterback and how he is performing. Justin Fields did not have a good game, but Justin Fields did everything in his power to have a good game. And that's why I ask who's in charge, because if you're going to tell me in a One score, which is a field goal game, where you elect not to kick two field goals. You elected to not kick in both halves, the end of the first half and in the third quarter on a fourth down scramble that, hey, guy made a great play. But guess what? You don't put the defense in that position to make a great play. You put points on the board. So I'm asking the question, who's in charge? You're not going to tell me the head coach is in charge. You can't. You can't. You can't tell me that a defensive head coach who's seen his quarterback get his ass beat the entire game is not going to say, hey, uh, offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, can we run the ball a little bit? The Bears ran the ball to the tune of 27 times, right? 
for 88 yards. And you might say, oh, they had the carries. No, uh, uh, Valus Jones had a couple of end arounds. So you got your, your, your rinky dink gadget plays out there. Uh, Tyler Scott got himself a ball, which, hey, remember when we, when, when the draft went down? It's like, hey, that wide receiver room got so much better. Look at this rookie out of Cincinnati. This is going to make things better. He can't play. He may be able to play next year. He may be able to play the year after that. This year, Tyler Scott has had moments that are few and far between. And any time seemingly I am talking about him or his name is being called is because of a drop or something that went wrong. Okay? His 30-yard catch in garbage time, nah, that don't really mean much to me. That don't really mean much to me. And then Deontay Foreman, who's been your best running back this season, six carries for negative six yards. Khalil Herbert, who has not been the same since the injury, had six carries for eight yards. Your rookie out of Texas had five carries for 36 yards. So you mean to tell me, going into this game plan, you said to yourself, you know what, we're going to run the ball 27 times, but at at least, what, half of them or more than half are going to come from our wide receivers and our quarterback. What are we doing here? There's no creativity. There's There's no coordination. So I asked myself, who's in charge? It's not the head coach, obviously. Y'all not even giving him the right injury reports the day after media availabilities. So it ain't the head coach. <laughs> and, and then you ask yourself, is Luke Getzey in charge? Is he the guy that's in charge? Because apparently Luke Getzey has earned the right to, to throw this quarterback to the wolves and say, hey, if you can't run my offense, what the hell are you doing out here? Because apparently being the quarterback's coach for Aaron Rodgers gets you that kind of carte blanche. Huh? Luke Getzey is moving out here like he is Teflon. You feel me? Teflon. Huh? He out here moving like peoples in shaft where he just watching from, from the top story of the projects, looking at all you peasants. Huh? Yeah, you can't run this offense. See you later. I'm Luke Getzey. And not like Eddie Murphy when he said, I'm Gumby, but you get it. I'm Luke Getzey. So who's in charge? Your quarterback's supposed to be the man. He's supposed to be in charge of the entire building. Your head coach is the CEO of the situation. He can't even hit the headset like, hey, 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 uh, sir, would you would you mind if if we ran the football? It seems as if our quarterback is taking a tremendous beating today. <laughs> We've got a 10-point lead heading into the fourth quarter. Even if we slow the tempo down and go three and out like is, is, is expected of this offense. That's the other thing, man. I don't care how bad your quarterback is, which Justin Fields isn't bad. You scored a touchdown today. A touchdown as an offense. Yeah, man, the sun punting continues. (laughs) And the target is Luke Getzey. The target, we already knew. I don't give a what A.B. say on Tuesday. Matt Eberflus is a terrific coordinator, and that's where he belongs. That's where he belongs. He's a core. Where are the standards here? Again, who's in charge? Who's in ch- If I'm Ryan Poles, I'm watching this like, man, I don't give a d- how many daps I'm giving y'all on the sidelines, how many bear hugs we have after great games, how many club dub victories I, you know, I'm dancing around with, how many times I'm showing so much love and, and gratitude to the players who are going out there risking my, their bodies huh, for, 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 for a common goal. All y'all gone. Y'all are gone. Who's is it? What's the what is the case to keep Matt Eberflus as the head coach of the Chicago Bears if you don't have low standards? 
Huh? Because you don't want a system to change because you saw players get coached up this year. Well, guess what? That means they can get coached up by a good coach. Why don't you go get yourself a better one then? Who's in charge? And I mentioned the name Ryan Poles. Guess what, (laughs) y'all? Will he be handed a pool of candidates again? Or is Kevin Warren the guy who is truly in charge? And right now he's just dealing with the stadium situation and trying to figure out where the Bears going to play in a couple of years. But So he doesn't have time for personnel issues and all the other things. All I know is you can draft another quarterback all you want. If you keep this infrastructure in place, you will get the same results. This is a terrible NFL this year. And I know, I know we're not supposed to say it. I know people don't want to admit to it. Do you see the teams? Do you see the teams out here wreaking havoc on the NFL? You believe in the Miami Dolphins and Tua Tungabalo on prime time? Huh? The Dallas Cowboys just got their face kicked in by the Buffalo Bills, a Bills team who we left for dead three weeks ago. The San Francisco 49ers seem like their limiting factor is the most important player in all of sports, the quarterback. And he's going out there balling his ass off, right? Like, I know everybody wants to talk about Brock Purdy and, you know, talk about what he isn't, and he's not an MVP caliber player. Well, if somebody else with a bigger name had 17 touchdowns and one interception in the last six games and you were 6-0, and we'd be calling him MVP, wouldn't he? Right? So all we're doing here as Bears fans is either settling, not raising our standards high enough, or asking who's in charge, which is all a bad place to be as a fandom. We'll go into further detail about this game because it wasn't all bad, right? Montez Sweat on a field with Miles Garrett and a bunch of other Pro Bowl players was the best player on the football field. Kudos to Ryan Poles for that. Shout out to Ryan Poles for that. But there's a whole bunch of other situations that have to be addressed and will be addressed right here on the Full Gold Podcast. We we hit you over the head with this every Sunday, every Tuesday, every Thursday. We appreciate you guys out there watching us here on The Local Angle and on FanDuel TV. Coming up next on The Local Angle, John Yastrzemski, the host of New York, New York, right here on The Ringer and FanDuel TV. He's going to talk about a rough day for New York football. And let's face it, you know, over the last few years, <laughs> there's been a lot of these. So my man John Yastrzemski is like a surgeon when it comes to dissecting rough New York football moments. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Angle right here on FanDuel TV. I'm JJ John Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York. And what I did today on Ringer Wise Guys, I'm sure it upset a lot of the audience that listens to my podcast on a regular basis that thinks I'm this true blue New York kind of guy, which I am, despite the sweatshirt I may be wearing. Listen, I love my city, I love my town. But I knew that today was the perfect example of going and fading 
New York, New York, after what happened just a week ago. We were actually living in a world, think about this for a moment, where Tommy DeVito and Zach Wilson, respectively, were AFC and NFC Offensive Players of the Week. They were Offensive Players of the Week because of Wilson and his great performance against the Texans, DeVito and his heroics and the agent and everything that comes with it in taking down the Packers on Monday Night Football. I threw in the anti-New York, New York tees because with the way this football season has been going, how could anyone possibly imagine and possibly envision nice things continuing for New York, New York? Well, that's exactly the way it played out for both the Giants and the Jets, respectively. Now, full disclosure, I'm a big-time Miami Dolphins fan, as many of you know. I'm down in South Florida. I'm making my way out to Hard Rock Stadium after Ringer Wise Guys, of course, right here on FanDuel TV. And I was very nervous about this game from a Dolphins perspective. My producer, Stefan, thought I was insane. My buddy, Mike Flegelman, thought I was insane. Every Jet fan in my life thought I was insane, but no Tyreek Hill, no Xavier Howard, no Javon Holland. The Dolphins are beat up. I'm wondering about how the Dolphins would handle the adversity of losing that game the way they did against the Tennessee Titans, and they proceed to go and shut out and spank the New York Jets by the score of 30 to nothing. And a game that was over from Jump Street. Zach Wilson fumbling on the opening possession, leading to a touchdown. Fake punts not working. Jalen Waddle running wide open for 60-yard touchdowns. It was a coaching clinic from Mike McDaniel, and it was coaching incompetence and a lack of awareness, execution, effort, whatever you want to call it from a New York Jet perspective. Jets were not prepared to play. Jets were not ready to go. Yes, Jets are not as talented as Miami. You know what? You can make the same argument for the Tennessee Titans. And what did they do on Monday Night Football? They competed their tails off. This game was so over for the Miami Dolphins. They put Mike White in to play the fourth quarter of this game basically as a victory cigar. And now we can finally put to bed the narratives that were being pushed and shoved obnoxiously in our face a week ago. Oh, Zach Wilson has found it. Oh, Zach Wilson has figured it out. Yes, the Jet protection in this game was awful. But you know what? Zach Wilson's awareness and lack thereof continues to be more of the same. And his inability to lead an offense, to get the ball to Garrett Wilson, put points on the board, to move the ball down the field. He can't do any of that for this Jet team. So spare me the narrative of him coming back next year. I don't care what happens to Zach Wilson for the rest of his career. I don't care if he figures it out somewhere else. Goodbye. Good riddance. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. The other narrative that needs to be squashed immediately. I don't want to hear another word about Aaron Rodgers coming back. The Jets have missed the postseason yet again. It'll be the 13th consecutive year. The Jets are out and not a part of the postseason tournament. Why do I have to hear about Aaron Rodgers possibly playing behind that line for this team at this point in the year? Stop the madness. It's absolute garbage. It's nonsense. I don't care what kind of egomaniac Aaron Rodgers may be. Oh, I want to show you I can do something that couldn't be done. I want to show you what could have been. You know what? Show me what could have been 
next year. This year is a lost cause to the Jets. Their coaching staff and their GM should count their lucky stars that the quarterback blew out his Achilles four plays into the year. Otherwise, their rear ends would be fired. That injury is the only silver lining and saving grace to why they are going to keep their jobs going into 2024. It's really as simple as that. But could you imagine Aaron Rodgers in week 17 to this team that still has much work to do before they're playing with the big boys in the AFC? Playing a meaningless game in Cleveland? Could you imagine that? That would be the ultimate example of malpractice on so many different fronts and so many different levels. It would be one last kick in the you-know-what if you're a Jet fan. So, more misery and so much for building upon that performance against the Houston Texans. Shut out. And one of the worst offensive games we've seen from the Jets. And it adds to the list, like the Charger game and like many of the other games we've seen the last two years from this offensive whirlwind of a football team. Now, the other team in town, they got hit right in the face, too. And I really was offended in some ways when I heard the veto mania being compared to insanity. I have enjoyed the storyline, okay? The hand gestures, the father and mother, the chicken cutlets, the the agent, the pinstripe suits, and the fedoras. It's cute. I'm not going to lie. Like, it, for us as New York fans, considering how lousy and how vile and how miserable this season has been, it's been a fun subplot over the last few weeks. You know? It has. It's at least given you a reason to tune in to watch the New York Giants when a few weeks ago they were 2-8 and eight going nowhere fast, and they went three games in a row, and you're like, wow. They have played a game at least on paper in week 15 that mattered. Well, there was a reason why Vegas installed the New Orleans Saints as five-and-a-half, six-point favorites. The Giants just could not move the football at all in this game. New Orleans' defense was ready to go, and New Orleans eventually executed. Derek Carr threw a couple of touchdowns. Once the Giants found themselves in a position where they were playing catch-up, they don't have the firepower on offense to be able to go and come from behind in the game like the Max comeback you're going to get is what you saw on Monday night from DeVito and company. So the feel-good last three weeks comes to a crashing halt in New Orleans. The Giants now are 5-9, and nine, and their postseason hopes, not that they had them to begin with, they're officially donezo. And now it's about the Giants transitioning into what's next. This coaching staff save face with what has happened over the last few weeks, but now there is much work to do for the Giants in the offseason about what's next to quarterback and what's next as far as getting this roster to a point where not only they can get into the postseason like they did last year, but where they're closing the gap with the other teams that look significantly better than them. And you'll see one of them two of the next three weeks despite their issues, and that's the Philadelphia Eagles on Christmas Day, and then you'll see them the final week of the year. So the anti-New York, New York bet. hate to say I told you so. Hate to say I told you so. There's an interesting subplot developing with Mr. Yamamoto. Will he be a Yankee? Will he be a Met? Will he be a Dodger? Will he be somewhere else? It seems like the New York teams are making every last effort to go and bring Yamamoto aboard. For the Yankees, 
it would complete, in many ways, a perfect offseason in acquiring Juan Soto and Yamamoto. It's the Yankees acting like the Yankees in more ways than one. The Mets, there really is no fallback option. This is a team retooling. This is a team looking at Yamamoto beyond just one year. They're thinking about the next year and a year after that and a year after that when their young players can really accelerate through the minor league system. That, to me, is what we're going to be monitoring here in New York sports over the next few days. The pursuit of Yamamoto and will he be coming to the Bronx? Will he be coming to Queens? Or will it be none of the above? We'll have an answer soon enough. And before we get a pick on the Monday night game, can I just say what an absolute pleasure and joy it is to watch Jalen Brunson play basketball? I know I've said this multiple weeks on the local angle, but you know what? I'm going to say it one more week on the local angle. It is a joy to watch Jalen Brunson play basketball. How about that second half against the Phoenix Suns? Perfection. You got Kevin Durant after the game waxing poetic, basically calling him an all-time Nick. He's going to be a Hall of Fame Nick. One could dare to dream. But one thing I know, despite the Knicks not having Mitchell Robinson, despite the Knicks' defense taking a major hit without Mitchell Robinson, that's something they're going to have to worry about here over these next few games. Should be very thankful Jalen Brunson is aboard. That guy personifies New York. What a performance on Friday night. It was fun to watch. I helped us hit a little New York, New York same game parlay, which we love on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Our buddy Jeff Bunny, you got to play for us. Philadelphia, Seattle, monstrous Monday night game. Who we got, Jeff Money? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with Handicapper Picks. This is going to be for Monday the 18th, the NFL game. We got a bowl game on Friday the 22nd. I thought I would Monday the 18th. You know my play for the Monday night game. I'm going to take the Eagles. Now, we showed the line at minus three and a half. It's showing three right now over the Seahawks. Again, I'm going to go with the Eagles minus the three and a half on Monday night. On Friday the 22nd, I got one bowl game going. I'm going to go with Georgia Tech plus the four and a half over UCF. Again, I'm going to go on Monday night with the Eagles minus the three and a half. And on Friday, we're going to go with Georgia Tech plus the four and a half. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go, Jeff Money. We will be heads up Monday night football. That line is working against you. There's a lot of questions about what kind of shape Jalen Hurts is going to be in under the weather, flying separately. Seattle playing for their postseason lives. I think they find a way to get it done against the Eagles. I'll take the Seahawks, hold my nose, and go with a contrarian Monday night play. That's going to do it for this edition of New York, New York, right here on the local angle. We will be back in a couple of weeks. I hope everybody enjoys the Christmas holiday. Happy holidays, one and all. John Zostremski signing off. We're coming right back. Coming up next on The Local Angle, Brian Barrett and James White on another tough Patriots loss, this time to Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now, as he does after each and every Patriots game, it is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, it was competitive early in this game for the Patriots, but then sort of the Chiefs proved that they're the reigning Super Bowl champs, and the Patriots looked like a team that only has three wins on the season. I thought, really, the biggest thing to me was night and day from the first half of the game where Zappi was playing well. He was 17-19, and and he comes out of halftime, 5-12, of but I think that everything sort of turned when he threw that interception where there's really no reason to make that pass. Yeah, most definitely. He was, he looked comfortable. He was letting it rip in the first half, spreading the ball around, getting the ball to Hunter Henry a ton. And then after that interception and kind of all hell kind of broke loose. I, th- I thought the protection started to progressively get worse as the game went on. So that played a factor, you know, guys weren't getting open and that's kind of what it's been for the quarterbacks all year long when things, when it's a bad play, they seem to make it worse when there was no reason for him to try and force that ball into that coverage, just throw it away or run it, get a couple yards, let the fight another play. That's just been the issue. I think guys are just pressing to make a play, especially at the quarterback position. Yeah. And in particular with Zappi, like even after that, where he had that interception where, as we mentioned, there's no reason to throw that. But then to your point, he gets sacked on the next series. The next series after that, he gets sacked. And then he has this throw where, I think he was trying to throw it to Douglas. It was closer to the safety. That could have easily been an interception as well. So I just look at Zappi and he's had this sort of an opportunity and he deserves it based on what Mac was not able to do. And Zappi played pretty well against Pittsburgh, although it was good in the first half and it was not good in the second (laughs) half, kind of similar to what we saw in this game today. So I just look at it from the perspective of if Zappi had any chance to prove like he's the guy going forward, I, I just I can't envision in that happening. Yeah, I don't think he's the guy going forward, and that's not a shot at him. I mean, I think he can still be on the roster next year, as well as Mac. Man, they can compete, whether it's competing for a starting job, competing for a backup job. He's a guy who hasn't played that many significant snaps. So, hey, I mean, he's shown some flashes. He's shown, you know, potentially what he can do. He hasn't put it together for four quarters, but he's done it for a half. But as a quarterback, you need to be able to show up in both halves, you know, help your team win, which they had no running game whatsoever today. So that. That plays a big factor, too. They probably ran for like two yards of carry. There was absolutely nothing. It was essentially just drop back. And I thought Zeke missed quite a few protections. He blew a few blitzes today. I'm not sure. If, I mean, that's just what I can assume from the running back position. I mean, it could be the offensive line. may not be him. But at times, it just looked like he was typically when running back, you're trying to get out the backfield. You're running to your alignment and somebody's unblocked. It's probably, the, <laughs> it's probably you that missed the blitz. And I, I saw that quite a few times from him. And yeah, the protection just progressively got worse and for a quarterback a young quarterback especially like Zappi you need you know an effective run game to help him out make him feel comfortable you don't want him dropping back throwing it you know 40 50 times a game I know he did that in college but it's a little bit different in the league and Kansas City has a really good defense this is the best defense you know they've had in you know a few years and they've been carrying their football team and the they just let it loose in the second half they were they were dial up quarter blitzes you know sending pressure you know Chris Jones started to come alive and they just started attacking us yeah, and to your point about the running game, Cole Strange goes down in this game. I'm not saying he's the reason that they could run the ball or that Mac or that Bailey Zappi rather was getting <laughs> pressured, but I just feel bad for him because obviously he's trying to get his career get get going here, and that looked ba- that looked nasty, and you could tell that he yeah. was in a ton of pain when that happened. But you think about it too, just if you look at the numbers in this one, Zeke ran 11 times for 25 yards, 2.3 yards per carry. The team ran for 48 yards, 18 came on the Harris touchdown run. Yeah. So really they had like one efficient run for the entirety of the game. They couldn't really do anything. And 
where you were bringing up in terms of Zeke missing stuff, I felt like that was an issue all game long for the team where every time it felt like, and this may sound slightly hyperbolic, but every time it felt like they blitzed, they got to Zappy. Like, was there no like huts? Like, I don't understand that, James. Like, why why weren't there easy passes out of the blitz? It felt like they were trying to like have these long developing plays down the field when they were getting blitz. This this brings me back to the whole Bill O'Brien thing. I don't know what he does here. Well, to me, that's that's on the players. I don't think they were they weren't bringing you know more blitzers than they can block either. The line was missing it. You know Bailey wasn't getting the protection right, or Zeke was blowing his blitz pickup. It was some of that. So it's where Bailey should feel comfortable in the pocket. He should trust the protection, but there's just unblocked guys, especially on third down. They were two for twelve on third down. Going up against a defense like that, who they execute at a high level on third down. Steve Spagnola, he's he's going to dial a blitz zero. He's going to send guys from all over the field. The skies, if you can't pick it up, he's going to keep sending. It. And that's that's what they did, especially in the second half. I mean, you smell blood in the water. You saw them do it to the Jags last year in the playoffs. They sent a corner blitz like every third down against Trevor Lawrence, and they couldn't figure it out. He's just going to keep sending it. He's an aggressive play caller. And we've played against him multiple times. This is just what he does. And I thought. Whether it was a line, whether it was Zappy, whether it was Zeke, they just weren't coordinated when it came to picking up the blitzes. Yeah, it was ugly all around. And I do wonder if that's why, and I'm not justifying it because I hated it. They were down 27 to 10 at their own 42 with a fourth and three when the fourth quarter had like just gotten underway. Now, in this game, like if you were going to try to win, you're going to have to score a lot more points. <laughs> so I don't know why you're giving up a possession there when you have three yards to gain. I wonder if, if it's because of after the interception. Maybe Bill lost faith in Ma- in Bailey Zappi. He already lost faith in Mac Jones. I don't know why I brought up <laughs> Mac again, but obviously the offense was not doing much. But at the same time, it's twenty seven to ten. If you're going to try to win that game, you go for a fourth and three. I have no idea why they decided to punt that. Yeah, they probably should have went for it in that scenario. But I said sometimes the coach, you kind of <laughs> you kind of see your quarterback starting to tread lightly a little bit. You don't want to put the ball his hand put it, put the ball in his hands in that situation. See him make a bad play, but in a sense. I mean, he probably would have took a shot down the field. That's what I'm assuming he might have did or threw it down the field. And it's essentially whatever. They could have got a pick, and it's it's like a punt. But, yeah, I thought they should have went for it in that situation. Going up against an offense that you know can score points. I know they haven't you know been as electric as they've been the last several seasons, but you got to be a little bit more aggressive in that situation if you want to win. Yeah, I just, from my perspective, I feel like that sends the wrong message to the team too, right? Like, hey, uh, are we going to try to win this game or are we punching this one away? Not to say that Bill's tanking. Now, personally, I like the fact that the Patriots lost the game because it means you're closer to getting that number two pick. And oh, by the way, the Panthers won a football game. So the the Bears of the Panthers pick are now at two wins. So I never thought that it would be possible that you could possibly chase down the number one pick, but who knows? The Panthers' <laughs> schedule is like relatively easy or relative, like in terms of if you compare it to the Patriots, they have better chances to win. They play Jacksonville coming up, who's not a great team. Or I mean, they're a good team, but not a great team. Yeah. I mean, look, Carolina is probably not going to win, but I'm just looking for any sort of silver lining after this game. I will say the one, the one guy that stuck out to me was Hunter Henry, and then they didn't throw it to him. You mentioned him earlier. They didn't throw it to him in the second half. I, I don't know what happened. Yeah, he he was eating in the first half. Like I said last week, that that carryover, he fed it to him plenty of times against Pittsburgh. The quarterback starts to get comfortable. That becomes his most reliable target. You can see it right away. He was going right back to Hunter. I know Juju was a big part of that last week. I know he was hurt. But Devontae, I thought he stepped up, made some plays early on in the football game. Another guy who stood out to me is Christian Barmore. He's had a huge year this year. He was all over the field where there's pressure on the quarterback, you know, making stops in the run game. 
he's a special player, man. If he can stay healthy for a full, you know, season, he's big, he's quick. You know, he plays with that, you know, aggressiveness. He's a, a going to be a staple in that defense for a long time. I know Bill loves him. He's a, he's a funny dude. I got to be his teammate for a couple of years. Like, like I was telling you, like earlier on the season, I asked him how many sacks he was going to get and all that stuff. He's really showed up, you know, all year long. When he's healthy and available, he's dangerous. Yeah, he's a beast. And especially, too, when you consider who's coming back next year, right? Matthew Judon's still under contract. And you're going to get your lockdown cornerback in – Christian Gonzalez back next season as well as he makes his way back. And if Barmore, it feels like he's taking a step. I was actually looking at this the other day. A lot of these defensive linemen, like the fourth year is when they have like these massive breakout seasons. Like this happened for Fletcher Cox recently. Well, not recently, but in his fourth year, it's a guy that's, you know, had been one of the better defensive linemen over the past decade or so in the NFL. It took him until year four to really sort of get going. And the other thing I would say with Barmore is he's finally healthy, right? Like he'd been dealing with an issue last year and, in his rookie season, he flashed. He was pretty good. So if if you are looking, yeah, for positive things from this game, Barmore would definitely be one of them. I like if and if you can have that interior pressure to go along with what Judon brings from the yeah. edge. I mean, the Patriots defense. I know that we're talking about a three and ten team. It could be. It's good this year, but it could be really yeah. good next year. It definitely can. There's a lot of young pieces, some good veteran pieces as well to to piece together. Defense isn't the issue. Like I said, with Bill Belichick, there you always know. Defense is going to be solid. They're going to come ready to play. They're going to be prepared. They're going to give the offense a chance. The offensive side of things has to pick up their slack over the last several years. You know, whether it's just protecting the football, whether it's just controlling the game, or just you know holding on, possessing the football for a little bit longer than what they've had. I said you have. We've seen games flashes where it looks okay. Then you know then there's three games where it looks terrible. So it was a great first half today. Second half just completely shut down. You know, Cole Strange goes down. And then you can't run the football, then the passing game gets shut down as well. Then you have a whole lot of nothing. But this defense, I think they have a very bright future just offensively. They just have to do a great job of finding the right pieces, whether it's guys that are there, you know, quarterback, receiver, offensive lineman, whatever it is, just putting the right group of guys together along with, you know, whoever the play caller is, designing that playbook around those guys who are in the room and allow them to play to their strengths, especially at the quarterback position. Yeah, it's a great point, too, because, I mean, they've put this defense in a bad position over and over again. They they came into the week 30th in the NFL in time of possession, and today they had the ball for, what, 28 minutes and 11 seconds, and you're going up <laughs> against the Kansas City Chiefs. Even if, as you mentioned, it's not the same Kansas City Chiefs team that we've seen in recent years, you still don't want to give Patrick Mahomes all these extra yeah. possessions. Yeah. And <laughs> your de- defense made plays for you, right? They turned Patrick Mahomes, and not that it was Mahomes' fault, but you turned him over a couple of times. <laughs> You made big plays. I don't know what's going on with Tony, man. Like, Kadarius Tony after last week, that that was not a great response for him personally. But we'll see what the Patriots end up doing. And hopefully they end up staying in that number two pick for the draft. And we can be talking about a good offense next year on Off the Pike and on FanDuel TV. Coming up next on The Local Angle, the Philly special guys. That's right, Shale Kapati and my man Benjamin Solak preview the Eagles' pivotal Monday night football game against the Seattle Seahawks. Will Jalen Hurts play? Will he not? We'll find out next with the fellas. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
welcome to the Ringer Philly special. We're doing a little bonus episode because we have to do this for the local angle on FanDuel TV. So like, and I got to talk Eagle Seahawks preview. So I thought, let's just do this in person. Let's talk about the game. We'll post it on the podcast feed. All right, Benjamin Solak, Eagle Seahawks, Monday night. Here we're going to keep it very simple. Eagles offense versus Seahawks defense. Seahawks offense versus Eagles defense. And then our predictions. Eagles offense versus Seahawks defense. Where are you with this Eagles offense in terms of panic mode, in in terms of, no, everything's going to be okay. They're going to get on track. They're going to have a big game here. Where do you stand? uh, AJ Brown still employed by the team? Yeah, I think we'll be yes. all right. I think we're going to be good. I feel, I feel good about where the team's at offensively. No, I think, we, I think we had a good conversation about Brian Johnson in the recap show after the Cowboys lost. I thought you and Sean did a really nice job talking about offensively some of the weaknesses for this team and what they need to change philosophically moving forward. Altogether, like uh, a lot of this month, Seahawks, Cowboys, or excuse me, Seahawks, Giants, Cardinals, Giants, is going to be about looking for the changes, seeing if they decide to kind of stay the course, do what they've done offensively the entire year, and just you know, live on the Jalen Hurts runs, even though his knee doesn't work, live on the A.J. Brown isolation stuff, or if they try to find more creative ways to use A.J. Brown over the middle of the field. This is a great game to use A.J. over the middle of the field. The Seahawks middle of the field coverage, Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams, Julian Love, like there's a lot of room there in that middle of the field to be successful. This is a great game to make some of those changes. I'm, I'm a lot more interested to see if they do it for the sake of their like playoffs, right? Like if they make the changes this month, then maybe they'll be better into January and they'll be better equipped to go up against the Niners and the Cowboys. Cause even if they don't make those changes, I think they can just out talent the, the Seattle defense. I just think they have with, with AJ and Devante, they have so much that can be successful in the passing game against this group. Dallas Goddard being back for this game is a big deal. And then offensive line wise, they've, they've gone up against the Niners front and the Cowboys front. That's really challenging. The Seahawks front presents a lot uh, fewer scary things, right? They have a lot less teeth to them. And I think they can dominate up front passing game wise and running game wise, keep hurts clean this team doesn't blitz as much. Like they just have a lot more firepower offensively than the Seahawks do. So I think they're going to be fine, but I'm still rooting for seeing the beginnings of some of those changes that I think need to happen for this offense. That's a, it's an interesting question because if you heard Nick Sirianni this week, he was, I don't defiant is the wrong word, but it was more like we do what we do. We're confident in what we do. It's fundamentals. You know, we're going to stick with it and we're going to play better. And your point is correct in that, that could be the case for the next four weeks. They've got the Seahawks. They've got the Giants twice. They've got the Cardinals. Those are all bottom 10 defenses. Like they could just do exactly what they're doing. And guess what? This offense could put up 30 a game over the next month and they could look really good. I think you and I would then look into the playoffs and be like, Oh, you know, I don't know if this is going to work against the 49ers and the Cowboys. So I'm interested to, to see what tweaks they show now against the Cowboys last week. Why it was like, the offense wasn't as bad as I thought watching live. You know, they had three of seven possessions end with fumbles. Fumbles are bad. Ball security at the same time. It wasn't like they were getting stopped three and out and weren't moving the yeah. football. I thought Jalen Hurts threw it. Okay, action. I mean, the run game is just, I, I still believe they can run the football. Like, I, I think a lot of this has been, they've been getting behind in games. Uh, they face some tough defenses, but like offensive line is healthy. The run game is still available to them. I think they can simplify it. I still think they can run the football. So I think that'll be a big factor here. I'm with you. They have should have an edge with their offensive line against that Seahawks defensive line. Get Jamal Adams in space. Attack the middle of the field. You're going to see a lot of zone coverage. There's going to be opportunities. I'll tell you this. If the offense doesn't play well 
against this Seahawks defense after watching what the 49ers and the Cowboys did to the Seahawks the last yeah. two weeks, yeah. then I'll find some red button here and we'll be panicking about the Seagulls. But that, but that would be a surprise given how the offense looked on film, right? Like I think in the throws of the Cowboys game, it was like, ah, and then watching the back on film, it was like, okay, well, just don't fumble it in the red area twice. And also another time when you cross the 50, right? Like, like all together yeah. m- moving the ball, it felt like it's felt before. Now, there's last year they could run the ball with Jalen Hurts and so they could play the spread football and it was great. This year they can't, they're still playing spread football. Like they they've needed to make changes schematically offensively, but I think that's been true for a while. You're never gonna do it when you're winning. It's once you start losing that that the internal that the, the introspection begins. I think Seriani is right to be a little bit defined, a little bit like we do what we do. Because if they make changes, it's not like they're gonna be all of a sudden like Oh, we throw the ball to Alamade Zacchaeus now. Like it's yeah. not like it's not it's gonna it's not gonna be big enough that it like actually registers on the Richter scale of like who produces. It's just philosophically how they get to some of their buckets, right? It's like okay, you know, our primary ball handler on offense is our primary ball handler. We're still a three point team. We're still a you know, pick and roll team. Whatever you want to talk about, we just all right. We're gonna try to get to the elbow instead of get from the you know whatever location, right? Like it's just it's a little bit changing your structures, but you still want the same guys dominating. So you want AJ and Devonte and 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 Goddard and and Hurts and Swift running this team. So altogether, it's not big changes, little changes, but they're important ones. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. All right. Other side of the ball is where it gets a little tricky for the Eagles. I mean, we can talk about 400 different schematic changes, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure how much any of it is really going to matter when you look at the personnel they have specifically uh, at linebacker, when you look at some of the stuff at corner, at safety. Uh, Geno Smith, we think, is going to play in this football game. Where are you with the Eagles defense, the state of the Eagles defense, what buttons they can push, and also how they match up with the Seahawks team? Get a sack, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's, like, that's what it is. It's Geno stays in the pocket, and he's, he's a good pocket manager, but he's, you can get him down. Uh, Geno has been dramatically different this year. Non-pressured quarterback, he's one of the top five in success rate. Pressured quarterback, he's one of the bottom ten in success rate. He's been much better on first and second down this year relative to third down this season. This is an offense where if the Seahawks stay on schedule, they beat you, right? They can go run, run, play action, run, run, play action, run, play action. They beat you. But if you get them into third and long, they lose to everybody. But as like, like as many people have been documenting well this season, the Eagles third down defense this year has been historically poor, right? They've been a really, really bad team getting off the field on third down. So this is, we talk about strength against strength. This is week against week. Right when 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 the Seahawks are in third and seven, they are really bad there. But the Eagles are really bad there. The Seahawks it makes sense because they have pass protection issues. They've had offensive line injuries. The Eagles it does not make sense. They should be dominating with their pass rush, and they haven't been over the last few weeks. So this is a, a enormous heat check game in my opinion uh, for Josh Sweat and particularly Hassan Reddick. Sweat's going to get Charles Cross a lot on the left side, and Cross I think is a good young left tackle. I think Sweat can win his, but that's a little bit more of like a, a legitimate matchup. Reddick off the right side, Abe Lucas back. He's been dealing with injury. They've had a rotation of guys there. Like, that's where you should be able to win. Uh, they need their pass rush to be more successful. And, and these guys have been playing a lot of snaps, you know, playing career high number of snaps. They're getting tired, long season, but they have to perform on third and long against the Seahawks. It's one of the worst third down offenses in the league against one of the worst third down defenses in the league. But the Eagles have no reason to be so. They got to be better in that matchup, particularly. Yeah, Eagles have the lowest sack rate on third down of any defense in the NFL. We're talking about a team that has paid Hassan Reddick, has paid Josh Sweat, has drafted Jalen Carter, has drafted Jordan Davis, brought back Fletcher Cox, 
brought back uh, Brandon Graham, Milton Williams, good player. I mean, this is a t- this is a group that goes seven or eight deep. Uh, they're healthy and they're still not affecting the quarterback enough against good teams. Like we saw it uh, against the Cowboys. We saw it against the 49ers, that Bills game. There was a little bit of Josh Allen uh, making you look bad. You got some pressure, but there were games earlier this year against like the Washington commanders where you would say they should be killed. Sam Howell should have no chance in this game. And guess what? They weren't impacting the quarterback enough. So right now, I think the snap counts are really interesting when we talk about what could change in the final month of the season. Josh Sweat has already played more snaps than he played all of last year. Those young players, Jalen Carter, Jordan Davis. I mean, you break down all the draft stuff for us. How yeah. many like snaps a game were they playing in college? What, it was probably in the 20s yeah, uh, or something like that, right? 50% of the right? snaps, maybe, yeah. like, in the big games, yeah. Yeah, so now they're playing, you know, a big number of snaps, and they do look a little worn down to me. I mean, uh, uh, Carter and Davis have not hit the quarterback in four games, so this could be a get-right game for the Eagles' pass rush. On the back end, I still have concerns. Like, what would you like to see? There's no great answer. There's no answer that's like, hey, if they play more man coverage, if they play more, if they do more this, if they like, there's no answer that's going to be like, oh, now they turn into a top ten defense. What do you think gives them? the best opportunity schematically uh, on the back end, given that really, unless the pass rush gets home, the defense doesn't have much of a chance. I think they need to rotate coverage more. And and one, it allows you to change picture pre-snap to post-snap, right? So I'm talking about you show single high pre-snap, you go too high, you show too high, you go single high. You change who your zone droppers are. So instead of two safeties, you even cover two, you do a safety in a corner, you even cover two. You're getting coverage rotation. And the reason why that's valuable is one, you change the picture pre-snap to post-snap. Uh, I think that they do that some, they need to do that more. Uh, and, and that forces quarterbacks drop back and pat the ball, right? So you have to check your work. And that pat of the ball gives Hassan Reddick an extra half second, Josh Sweat an extra half second, Jalen Carter. I think that's important. Eagles are bad in zone coverage. They got bad gaps in zone coverage every time they play zone. They drop back in the most regular zone coverage you've ever seen. They can't space it, right? Because they've had a rotating cadre of linebackers, nickel corners, and safeties, right? They've had so many different players playing that their connections are just not good. And like you brought up those Sam Howell games. That's how Howell would beat him and the enemy would beat him. So there you go. Uh, if you're watching this on the local angle on FanDuel TV, remember you can listen to the Ringers Philly special on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're listening to this on the Ringers Philly special on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, Solak and I will be back late Monday night, loopy late night. Might be sick, might, uh, might be on some cough matters, might be on some tussin. Who knows? We'll be talking about this Eagle Seahawks game. So tune in then. Thanks to everyone for listening and have a great weekend. That'll do it for the week 15 edition of The Local Angle right here on FanDuel TV. Catch us every Monday, same time, same place. Be good, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.